the teams you care about. The Patriots are absolutely a contender. They're not just in the conversation. They're in the VIP section at the party right now. The stories that matter to you. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. Ben Shungu is the most important player to the Catamounts, bar none. This is your home for New England sports. The rest of the American League, as I told you, is not messing around. The Red Sox need to be ready to make some big moves. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Once again today, full show, all 90 minutes. We go right up until 7 o'clock, a full plate of stuff. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, going to talk about a couple of things. I got like an assorted medley of topics for TC. We're going to hear from him in 15 minutes. We got some local stuff on UVM hoops and the Harwood High School hockey coaching situation. This is the local story that just keeps on giving for this show. So we're going to talk about that. And I'm pretty passionate about this one coming up at about 6.20 there. And I do have a segment I'm going to dust off here. I do a segment, the same segment, once a year. This is, the, this is the day of the year that I'm going to do it. I do this segment once a year. And as long as I live here, I will do this segment once a year. I'm going to do that later today at about 6.40. So tons to get to. I spoke with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio already today. That interview is online on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. We'll play back some of it today as well. So you can get in Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line 802-585-3026. Let's waste no time. Here we go. Five. Four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to start here with the Patriots. I got a lot of everything today, but I have to start with the Patriots. On Monday, after the game, Sean McDermott, Bill's head coach, didn't want to overload Bill Belichick with credit for that Patriots win on Monday. And I agreed as far as why the game ended the way it did. I wasn't putting that game plan from Bill Belichick in the loop. That's the line I told you yesterday, and I agree with that. But while on the field, I wouldn't give Belichick too much, you know, an overload of credit for Monday night, I will give Belichick credit for how selfless he's gotten this team to be. This team is special. And that's going to sound like I'm just a shill because we have the Patriots on our on, on our network. The Patriots aren't watching me. They don't know if I am, you know, talking them up or talking them down and ripping them. This isn't some act just because the Patriots are a partner of ours. This team is special. And no matter how you slice that, it all comes back to Bill Belichick. So if you don't want to give him credit for what happened on the field, and I didn't give him, you know, again, an overload amount of credit for Monday night for that strategy, but if you don't want to give him credit for that, give him credit for what he's got this team doing. Because either he is directly imparting this selfless quality into his team, or he's got coaches and team leaders that are, taking cues from him and they are imparting it to the team either way though it comes back to Belichick and either way 
It's pretty remarkable. Here on Monday night, late Monday night, on this station on DEV, was Jalen Mills talking about the attitude of this team. You know, uh, it might not be your week. You know, you might not be in the game plan. It might be another guy's turn. But at the end of the day, we all have one goal. We're all focused on one goal, and that's being one and know each and every week. It's not about you no know, individual awards. It's not about any of that, man. We're just focused on winning one game every week. So that was Mills on Monday night after the game. There was Kendrick Bourne on social media yesterday saying he doesn't care about fantasy football and he doesn't care about his own personal numbers. He said he only cared about wins. These Patriots players have bought in and at the professional ranks it's not easy to get people to buy in as fans we assume that every player it's just about winning but it's not players like to get theirs players like to show what they can do a lot of players want to win but as I've told you they want to be the reason that the team wins they want to be getting headlines they want to show what they can do. They want to play for future contracts. It's hard at the professional level to get guys across the board and universally to be selfless and to buy in. That is difficult. And look at what this Patriots team and what Bill Belichick has gotten guys to do. Nelson Aguilar is a guy who makes, you know, 15 mil a year. He's got barely, he's got less than three catches a game. You haven't heard a peep. Damian Harris, who's a guy who we love. I believe he was the highest graded back by Pro Football Focus last year. He has given up 100 carries to Ramondre Stevenson. Guys want the dare. Trust me, as much as running backs get banged on and banged up, running backs want to be Ezekiel Elliott. They want to be Derrick Henry. They want 25, 30 carries a game. They want to be the reason that your team runs the football well, and Damian Harris has seeded 100 carries this year to Ramondre Stevenson. Jonu Smith just signed for huge money. He's got just over two catches a game. You haven't heard a peep. Nikhil Harry, trade requests this summer he made, and here he is in the trenches blocking consistently in the run game. This would not happen on other teams. Mac Jones is the first-round pick. He knows he's going to be compared to other first-round picks. He could want to sling it all around the yard, but he's content to throw three passes in a game. This Patriots team is special. This Patriots team is selfish, or selfless, rather. This team is selfless, and that's amazing to see at the professional ranks because this wouldn't happen everywhere. I get it. Winning cures all. So people think just because the Pats are winning this stuff, yeah, hey, they're winning, so what do you expect them to do? I think this attitude, these qualities, they were being built before the Patriots won. The groundwork was laid in the preseason, in training camp. They stuck together. They stuck with it when they were 1-3 and 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 2-4. This team is special. The team chemistry on this team is through the roof. I've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. All those guys I just named. They probably could and do want more shine, but they have sacrificed roles and usage and numbers for the sake of the team. And I think if you don't want to give Bill Belichick credit for a game plan on Monday night, fine. But give him credit that he's helped create this. Because this doesn't happen everywhere. Look at all the locker rooms around the NFL that are crumpling. The 
Seahawks have issues. The Steelers have issues. The, uh, I mean, pick, pick a team. There's issues there. Cleveland had issues. You can all say, yeah, well, those are all losing teams or mediocre teams. Fine. The Patriots are a winning team in part, though, because they are willing to do it. Not every team is. Belichick's either doing it himself or he's got the right people in place. Either way, he deserves the credit. I am very, very impressed by by what I've seen and what I've heard out of this Patriots team. And it's been this way for several weeks now. They are about the team. They are together. They are fun to watch. They are fun to cover. They are fun to be around. And they are special. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. Uh, speaking of special, pretty cool stuff. The Patriots usually, after a win, they put out on social media the video of their, their post-game locker room speech. Well, Matthew Slater is the guy who usually ends that locker room speech. Here's how it sounded inside the Patriots locker room Monday night. Tonight, though, is one of those nights, fellas, that you'll remember 10, 15, mm. 20 years from now. Yeah, yeah. You won't remember the cold. You remember the way we responded. It ain't going to come to us easy, fellas. We're going to have to fight and claw and scrap. You know, Monday night, Buffalo, snow, wind, hostile nonetheless. How do we feel about a Monday night victory? I love that. The Patriots have been doing that aw yeah thing when they get wins for years. And every time the Patriots put the video out, I think it's cool. But you can just see this team is close. They are connected. They like each other. They respect each other. And it underscores the point I just made about their selflessness. They've bought in. They like each other. They do have one goal. And they are connected. And I also find it so cool and so unique that a special teams player like Slater can be such a leader and such a revered member of that locker room. Football is a segmented sport. You have the offense, you have defense, you have special teams. Generally, you get leaders in those individual packs. Matthew Slater is a leader for the entire locker room. It shows how special he is that he's able to get the entire locker room to look up to him. He plays a handful of plays a game on special teams, and the whole team looks up to him. Tells you how special he is. You know, I got to ask Matthew Slater one question at, at, the, at the Super Bowl. All the times I've been. Four times I've been. Three of them were Patriot games. I think that this one was in Minneapolis against the Eagles before the Eagles game. I'm not sure. But I asked him one question, and I was blown away. I asked him something like, how long did it take you to embrace being, quote, just a special teams player? I asked it nicer than that, but that was the gist of it. How did you come to terms with being a guy? How did you get to be okay with being a guy who plays sparingly? And how do you focus on that? And his answer blew me away. His answer blew me away. He is a guy to follow. There's a reason why this team follows him. He's well-spoken. He's, I think he wants to be a, a reverend after he's done. No doubt he will crush in that. He is, in, he is a, an orator in every sense of the word. He is a leader 
in every sense of the word. He's a guy to follow, but it's still amazing to see that the whole team will follow a guy who doesn't play much. It's like if a whole baseball team followed a middle reliever or if a whole basketball team followed the backup point guard. We know they're valuable. We know they have a role, but they aren't usually heard from. And Matthew Slater is heard from, and he carries a huge amount of weight in that locker room, and I think it's so cool. I think it's cool that he is able to do it. Just naturally, he has that personality, and he has those qualities. I think it's cool that he's willing to do it. He knows the dynamic. He knows he doesn't play that much. He knows it would be easier if the quarterback or if the wide out or if the DB, the star, was was the vocal presence on the team. He knows that, but he's willing to do it and step up and do it well. And kudos to the rest of the team for following that guy. The word of the day is special for the Patriots. They've been special on the field in terms of their roster, or in terms of their record, rather, at 9-4. and four. They've been special in how they've gotten there by winning seven straight games. But they've also been special in how they've been constructed and what their qualities are. They play hard, they play together, they buy in, and they believe in each other. And you don't see that across the entirety of the NFL or across the entirety of the landscape of pro sports. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, Tom Karen, is going to join us. You know, we spoke last Wednesday, right before the lockout in Major League Baseball. Well, about six hours after our conversation, the Red Sox traded for Jackie Bradley Jr. Whenever we get this thing going, is Jackie Bradley Jr. the starting center fielder all season long for your Boston Red Sox? Tom Karen's going to answer that question with us next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now on the phone line, our guy, as he does every single Wednesday at this time, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Ness and Tom Karen. TC, how are you? Good, Brady. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks, TC. And got a lot of stuff on the Red Sox, on baseball, on the Bruins that I want to get to you with. But I got one random kind of off question for you before I start. Celtics-Lakers played last night. I do this segment every year. Once a year, without fail, I do this segment, and the segment is being done today. I believe that to anybody under the age of 35, Celtics-Lakers is not a rivalry anymore. It's just not to anybody of my age bracket. I'm sure you're going to tell me that it is a rivalry, so I ask you straight off the top, why do you feel that way? Well, I mean, listen, it is because anyone under 35 who pays no attention to history whatsoever is wasting my time. Okay, so <laughs> if, if you want to tell me, you want to tell me, you know, I, when, when Fox got into baseball, it was a long time ago, 20 years ago now more, right? One of, one of the early things is, you know, anybody who shows a picture of a dead player during a broadcast will get fired, hmm. right? They didn't, want, they didn't want to talk at all about Babe Ruth or about the history of the game. That's fine. You can't live in the past. Okay, but if you live strictly in the present, uh, you're missing out a lot of uh, what's great about sports. Okay, so so is the rivalry down? Yeah, is it ever going to come back? I, I don't know. Maybe not because it's a strange rivalry, right? Because it's 
it, it was all about two teams who met up repeatedly in the finals. Uh, and, it, it, you know, it was never about regular season. Uh, they don't play enough in the regular season. They're, they're bi-coastal. But there was, there was a decade of basketball where they were, you know, not only the two best teams in, in the NBA, but they were, they were the two teams that were only measured by how they did against the other team in the finals. And if they didn't meet in the finals, the finals didn't matter all that much <laughs> back in the 80s. So, I, you know, yes, it's a rivalry because of the history. But is there any simmering feud between these two teams right now? Absolutely not. I mean, there's just not. And, and the schedule doesn't lend itself to, to rekindling the rivalry. Uh, you'd have to play each other in the playoffs, which means the finals. Uh, and the odds of that happening are pretty slim. So I, I'm straddling the fence on you here. I get why you don't think it's a rivalry, because it's a rivalry of the past. But it, it, that past still matters when they play each other. It just isn't often enough. And when you get a case like last night, yeah, it's 10 o'clock at night. You know, so one of the two games where they play each other is, is after everybody goes to bed. Uh, hard to have a rivalry like that. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, here with us on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now let's move to the Red Sox. Right before midnight last week, right before the lockout gets imposed, Red Sox traded Hunter Renfro to the Brewers. Do you think that Jackie Bradley Jr. is actually a six-month starting outfielder for this team, or is he a fourth outfielder and the team has another big move to make? Yeah, I, uh, yeah. well, uh, I, as usual, I'm not going to pick any of your choices. Okay. I'm going to dance around all of them. Uh, I, he's not an everyday six-month uh, six outfielder. That's not why they got him. First of all, they, they made the trade because they got the two prospects, yep. a really intriguing prospects, a big power guy and a speed guy, uh, both infielders and both with a ton of upside. Okay, so they... They essentially took on an extra year of salary because two years left on uh, JBJ if they uh, if they take the option and uh, and they even with the buyout though it makes it more expensive so they you know they 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 take that on to get the prospects now where JBJ fits in here uh, we know what he is defensively and and that isn't going away uh, he will be as always one of the best center fielders ever when he's in the game. He's also, you know, a guy who's, if you talk to scouts, you look at the analytics, his swing pass, his at-bat approach, if you will, uh, plays better at Fenway Park. The, 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 the confines of Fenway make him a better hitter. Okay, so this should be a little bit of a bounce back offensively. But more than anything, here's my belief. Jackie Bradley's one of the streakiest hitters I have ever seen. He will put together three to five weeks where he is amongst the best hitters in baseball. He didn't do it last year, uh, but he has done it for most of his career with the Red Sox. Then he will go on a four- to six-week stretch where he is the worst hitter in baseball. And he was, by some metrics, the worst hitter, not only in Major League Baseball last year, but in Major League Baseball for years. Okay, Now, if he's one of four, it doesn't mean he is the fourth. You know, you said, is he the fourth outfielder? I don't know that he's the fourth outfielder, but he's 3B. Okay, he's good. I think you'll see him getting hot and going a stretch of playing every day. And then when it falls off and he goes ice cold, he's going to sit for a while and be a defensive replacement. So I, uh, that all leads me to your last part of your question. Is there another move? Yeah, to me, it actually opens the door uh, even more so to bring Kyle Schwarber back, who fits better in the outfield than he does at first base. Uh, and that could be part of your four-man rotation. You know, with the ability to play Kike Hernandez at second base, that really allows you to get those four guys in the lineup when the matchup makes the most sense. So... 
Listen, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm like uh, jumping for joy that Jackie Bradley Jr. is back. That said, I, I think you are selling high on Renfro because he's a guy who's been streaky as well and up and down in his career, had a great run here last year. Not sure you can expect that to be replicated next year. So to get Bradley back, which improves your defense, get two prospects, which I think, and, and we can get into this if you want, but I, you know, I think the big move after the intermission, right, when baseball gets back to business, I think the next move is you got to get a middle-of-the-rotation pitcher to replace Eduardo Rodriguez. The guys you've gotten haven't. They've added depth, but they're not in the middle of the rotation. And you do that via a trade. You do it with Oakland or Cincinnati or Miami, and now you have two more prospects in, in the pipeline to, to maybe have enough depth where you can make that type of deal without wiping out the farm system, which is where they were a year ago. Well, that's certainly interesting, but in, in – I would agree with you. The Sox do need a rotation arm in Oakland or Cincinnati and are the calls that I'm making. But Hyam Bloom said specifically before the lockout that they're looking for a right-handed bat now, I presume, to help replace Renfro. So that made me wonder, are they more out on Schwarber than I thought, considering he's right. left-handed? Or are they going to be sneaking in the Chris Bryan or Nick Castellanos outfield sweepstakes? What did you make of his comment that they're looking for a yeah, right-handed was- bat? Yeah, I was surprised that he said right-handed specifically. I still think Schwarber's a great fit. And, you know, remember, Bloom did say we are still in on Hunter Renfro. So I don't think – I'm sorry, uh, uh, Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. I don't think one precludes the other. Uh, it, but, yeah, you know, and there, there was a story of uh, a Trevor story, uh, which is a whole other thing. You're talking about bringing in a, a shortstop type because that leads into what the future for Sandy Bogart's holds. Uh, but I, I do think that they, they want to balance that, uh, that lineup a little bit. And again, maybe that is uh, in a trade as well. Uh, I just think, you know, I, I do believe this, that I don't think the, the labor agreement is going to come soon. So whenever it does come, and I think it will come, I think they'll be ready for the start of the regular season. I, I, there's going to be a flurry of activity. And, and all the plans in the world are going to get thrown out the window because you're going to have, you know, a three-week, frenzy of free agent signing of trades being made uh and and so i think you know what Heim bloom to talk about what he wants to do what he is able to do might be a completely different thing tom karen red sox bruins insider at nesson with us here on the brady farkas show as he is every wednesday bees taking on the canucks tonight at 9 p.m what's going on with tuka rask is he gonna sign with this team or what you don't think he's gonna just stay as an emergency backup <laughs> Yeah. Hang out in the building and make his uh, 150 per diem or whatever it is they pay the guy to uh, to hang on here. I yeah I don't know. I mean uh, you know Don Sweetie made it pretty clear that if he's back in the NHL this year, they want him back. And and I think we've talked about this all along. Uh, Swayman has shown you, uh, shown me uh, a lot that that Nashville win last week was as I thought his best uh, and and most important uh, outing because they needed it so badly. Uh, but then, uh, you know, uh, Saturday night, uh, Tampa Bay, that first goal, you'd love to have back. So, I, you know, you still see the ups and downs of the young guy. Uh, I know that they're building a relationship. I know Rask talks to him a lot. And, and, and so I, I think it makes a lot of sense now. How do you juggle three goalies? That's a whole other question. Uh, and, and I don't think you're moving Linus Olmark uh, anytime soon and, and still scratch my head on that signing. But, I, yeah, I, I do think he ends up with, with the Bruins when it's all said and done. Uh, you know, the old saying, these things work themselves out. Does somebody get hurt? Does something happen? Is there a move that they can make uh, to ship uh, Omar Kapp? I wouldn't ship Swayman because he's the future. And and obviously, if you're bringing Ross back, uh, it's hard to carry three. But I do think he's going to end up back here. I've thought that all along, and that doesn't change. 
I'll get you out of here on this. Well, actually, on two quick ones. Uh, we could do a 30-minute dissertation on this topic, but uh, I think individual names will pull out, but do you think the league as a whole will pull out of the Olympics? It's awful hard. I mean, you know, Canada is tightening its restrictions, right? Uh, you know, we, we, Bruce Cassidy isn't going on this trip because you've got to be 14 days clear of a negative test. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's going to be, we saw it in the summer games, you're going to send everybody there, there's going to be an outbreak. I, I don't see how there isn't an Olympic-related uh, COVID situation. Uh, and, and so now, as teams and as a league, are you going to allow these guys to go there and then potentially, what if you're a Canadian team? You know, if you're a Canadian team, your guy goes to the Olympics, uh, is, is exposed to or contracts covid uh, then, I mean, it could be weeks before you can have him back on the ice. And then you hit your most important stretch of the year, and the guy's been out a month at that point. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm the NHL, I, I just, why, why would you risk it? You've got the, you know, they, they, were, they were begrudgingly going into this anyway. Uh, you've kind of got the, the obvious uh, escape hatch here to use COVID as the reason to avoid it this year. DC, you're going to be palling around with some Boston bigwigs tonight, I hear. Yeah, great event. The New England Sports Museum is doing its annual tradition where they honor athletes. Uh, and we've got a, I won't have to do a lot of talking tonight. We got David Ortiz, hmm. uh, Kevin McHale, uh, who, who, uh, neither one of those guys are going to be at any loss for words. Uh, and Kevin McHale, by the way, is bringing Danny Ainge. Everybody brings a presenter to sit with them. Uh, I can't wait for that Kevin McHale, Danny Ainge. I'll ask them if the Lakers <laughs> is a rivalry with the Red Sox. I, I, you think I was, uh, down your throat. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll FaceTime you so you can watch that one <laughs> when, uh, when they answer that. Uh, but Ben Coates, five-time All-Star and uh, really a, a kind of a pioneering tight end from the New England Patriots. And, and Mike Milbury, talking about guys who are going to have a lot to say. Uh, Mike Milbury from the Bruins. Also Taylor Twellman uh, from the Revolution, NLS uh, MVP, and Angela Ruggiero. You talk about the Olympics. Uh, nobody knows more about the Olympics than Angela Ruggiero. She was a you know, four-time medalist four-time uh, Olympian on the hockey team, and I believe, I was crunching some numbers just now, and I believe she has appeared in more games in a USA hockey jersey than any other man or woman in history. Uh, and so she's remarkable. She's on the IOC uh, Athletes Committee now and has a lot to do with the, the shaping of the Olympics. So it's a great event. Jackie McMullen and I uh, co-host it every year, and uh, it's at the Garden tonight coming up. And uh, always fun to hear the conversations they have. So looking forward to that. Well, very, very cool. Go get ready for that. Enjoy it. We will talk to you in seven days, CC. Thank you, Brady. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, here with us every single Wednesday on the Brady Farkas Show. A lot of interesting stuff there. Interesting stuff on JBJ. Interesting, he thinks Schwarber is a, is a possibility in left. I know he is. I guess I'd rather him be at first, or at least I would have rather him be at first before they traded Renfro away, and I thought left field was taken. you got to stick him somewhere if you bring him back before you can insert him as the DH next year when Martinez is gone in free agency, but uh, I don't like the idea of Schwarber in left. I know he's played there more. I just feel like first base is easier. It's not easy, but easier than covering all that ground. And the NHL Olympic stuff is nuts. We love Olympic hockey, at least I do. I think it's great for the growth of the sport. 
there's like a three-week quarantine in China if you test positive. So guys don't want to go and risk it and then not be able to come back. And their NHL teams, I'm sure, won't want that. We will see if the league pulls out entirely. But uh, we're, we're, what, two months away from the Olympics? And we got a lot of questions. So it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Com. UVM men's basketball loses last night at Providence. I'll give you my take on the game. Hint, the problems remain problems. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Brought to you by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training. Vermont's premier truck driver training school online at prodrivercdl.com. They are located one facility in Enosburg and one up in Milton. So they can help either Class A CDL, Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training as well. If you need the next step in your career, then Pro Driver Training could be the spot for you. So again, Enosburg and Milton and online at prodrivercdl.com. Com. Thanks to Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, for stopping by at 545, as he did. And he's with us every single Wednesday in some capacity. So today we spoke to TC Live. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio we spoke to in advance today. We'll play back some of his answers to various questions and topics throughout the uh, rest of the next hour. UVM men's basketball in action last night. They lose on the road at Providence. Final score was 68-58. to As a result, the Catamounts are now 6-4 on the year. It's a game that UVM isn't supposed to win. Against a Big East team, I'm, I have big expectations, but I'm not unrealistic. I know they're not supposed to beat Big East teams. So because they're not supposed to, it's hard to just out and out complain about the end result. Losing by 10, 68-58. But even though we're not really supposed to complain, there are several things that I took away from this game. And you can get in Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. It was on Fox Sports 1. I know a lot of you were watching it based on my Twitter feed. I will start with the positives first on UVM. UVM showed that they could play defense even against a major conference team. To allow a team in the Big East that came in at 8-1 and one to not even hit 70 points, that's pretty damn good. You will take that. This is a team from the Big East that you're holding down. This isn't Evansville or Appalachian State. This is a team that had a 6'10 big man, that had a guy hit six three-pointers, that plays major college basketball, and you held them to under 70. That's a testament to John Becker, his coaching staff, their coaching style, and the players on that roster for how hard they play. They should be commended for that. If you went into a game and said, hey, we're playing a major conference team tonight, and we're going to hold them under 70, you'd like your chances. You would. UVM should be proud once again of their defensive effort, and for those of us that were watching it, we also should be proud of their defensive effort. Not easy to hold a major conference team in their building to under 70 points. They also held Providence to 6 of 20 from 3, which is just 30%. They held them to 30% from 3. And every single make, all 6, came from the same guy, A.J. Reeves. They completely took away every player but one beyond the arc. That also 
deserves to be commended. If you could do that every single game against a major conference team, you'd feel very good about your chances. And secondly, on the positives, UVM just proved that they play hard. Take the result out of it for a second. You're watching that game and you walked away thinking, man, these guys play hard. And that's what you can ask for. We we see plenty of times where a team is talented, but they dog it. And that frustrates us to no end. And we love when we have a team that is maybe not quite as talented as we want, but they just don't give up and they just don't give in. And so far through nine games, or now through ten games rather, that is what this Catamount team is. They're not as good as I thought they were. They're not as good as I thought they were. They don't have as many scores as I, as I thought they did, but they are a team that even though they're a little bit deficient in areas, they just don't go away. And that is something for you as a fan, for you as an alum, for you as just a casual viewer, you should all appreciate that. I'm watching that game last night. They're down 10 with a minute to play, and Isaiah Powell's diving on the ground. Guy turns it over for UVM. He chases him down from behind to try to get the ball back. They don't pout. They don't mope. They don't give up. And I respect the hell out of a team that does that. We talk about the Patriots and this inborn chemistry that they have, or this rather this innate quality to be selfless. This UVM team has an innate quality to just play hard. These guys are battling. They may not win every game. Heck, they may not run through the league like they have, but I know they're going to be tough to beat nightly because of how tough they play. There were positives in yesterday's loss, 68-58. They're not supposed to win. So knowing they're not supposed to win, I went in looking for positives, and I found some in how well they played defense yet again and how tough they played overall. That was very, very impressive and a great effort and a tough place to play against a team that since 2005, the broadcast said, Providence has the third most wins of any college in New England. UVM was second. UConn is first, but it's not, you know, there's not as many teams in New England. I understand that, but it's not UMass. It's not uh, Rhode Island. There are other good teams in New England. Providence has the third most wins in New England over the last 15 years, and UVM made it really hard on them. They deserve to be praised. But if you want to stop looking at the moral victories, then I'm just going to shoot it to you straight and drilled down to the bedrock of why they lost by 10. There were positives. I just gave them to you. Now let's tell the truth also. Let's tell the truth the other way. Why did UVM lose by 10? How did UVM hold a major conference team to under 70 and not really be in the game? Simple answer. The same problems that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, they were still problems last night and they're likely going to remain problems for the entirety of the season. UVM does not shoot well from the outside. There is no other way around it. UVM shot 26% from three last night. 26%. If you're going to pull upsets against big conference teams, you have to shoot well. And it's so cliche, and it's so obvious, but it's so true. 
there's a there's a big time formula that I think you need to do a bunch of these things to pull a major upset. One is you need to shoot really well from three. Two is you need to make all your free throws. Three is you need to get star efforts from your stars. Plus you need to get an extra kind of a, a an out of body experience from somebody else. And then four, you can't get killed on the glass. That's always been my recipe to pull an upset in college basketball. And UVM missed the most important one. They didn't shoot well from the outside. And then they turned it over to boot. You really can't do that. If you're not going to make shots, you can't turn it over on other possessions. You need as many shots as possible in the hopes that they'll go in. They just are, they just are not a good outside shooting team. We're 10 games in now. They're going to get more games at Patrick Jim soon. They're going to have the confine, the friendly confines soon. I expect it will get better. It's not always going to look like this, and you're going to play worse teams, so you will have chances to improve or chances to have good nights. But in games that matter, UVM is just going to struggle to score. Against better conference teams, against a team of the NCAA tournament or the NIT or whoever they might play in the postseason, it's going to be a grind for them. 26% is not good enough. You can play great defense. You can play really hard, as I said UVM does, and I am certainly going to be proud of that. But you cannot do this from the outside and expect to win. At some point, you're going to have to score, and you're going to have to score well, and UVM just doesn't. 58 points is not enough. 58 points is not enough. I want this team to average 70. They've got to be able to score 70 a night, and they're not even close to that right now. They had an out-of-body experience against Dartmouth, and that's great. They scored 85 against the green, Big Green, and that was a great performance. They will have nights like that. They will also have nights like yesterday. You have to be able to score, and UVM just does not do it well enough. You can get – see, and this is, as I told you, this is the problem. I don't think I'm unrealistic in terms of expecting UVM to beat Providence. I don't. But I do have an expectation that this team can really, really dominate the league. That is where I think this program is at. That is where I think they should be at. They can win a lot of games in the league 66-61, to 61, 62-54. to 54. They can win games in the league like that because of their, their how hard they play and their defensive ability. They can get by in their league. They can go 13 and 5 probably playing just like this. I want them to go 16 and 2 and I want them to go to the NCAA tournament and win. And right now, they can't accomplish that. They can be a third seed in the league and not have the the conference title game on their floor. They can do that. Even with a de- with a deficient outside game, they can still probably accomplish that. But my goals for them are bigger. My goals for this program are bigger. Lastly, the other issue that I've been telling you about for weeks is the scoring depth. Not only is it that they don't score a lot, well, why don't they score a lot? Their scoring depth just isn't there. UVM got a star effort from its stars. Ben Shungu had 20, most of it in the second half, but he had 20. 
Ryan Davis had 19. Score for them. He really does. Get Davis open. Get Powell. Get some of the shooters open. But they got to... So Davis had 19, Shungu had 20. Those two scored 39 of your 58 points. They scored nearly 75% of your total buckets. You've got to get more help. Isaiah Powell had nine. They did not get that third score in double figures like I've been asking for. He was close. If he had gotten 10, I would have given him praise, so I'm not going to crush him for getting 9. 9 was close. But if you're going to pull an upset like that, you probably need 15. It didn't happen. He didn't get double figures. And then their bench only had 4 points. If you're going to win games like this, you need some help. Your stars playing like stars, that's a, pre a prerequisite this season. I've said that but they can't be responsible for 75% of your points every night. You need some help. You look at Providence, they had similar issues, but their two stars scored 24 each. So their stars had nine points more than your stars did, and that alone right there is practically the difference in the game. And then you go down the line, and they got a guy with nine and a guy with eight, and the scoring depth was a little bit better too. And that's where the loss is created. That's where the loss is created. UVM has other non-conference tests. They're going to play Brown on Friday. They're going to see Colgate and, and Northeastern. They've got other non-conference games left before they get to the holidays. They're going to have chances to improve this stuff, but they need star efforts from Benny and Davis, and they need other guys to help. If I look at last night and you ask me, Brady, why'd they lose? I would say same reason they've been losing. Not enough scoring depth and they just don't shoot well from the outside. And and the one leads to the other. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, Bob in Moncton says, how do they fix this issue midseason? Meaning the, the catamount shooting issues. I told you, I think that they need to start putting what I call a mouse in the house. Right? Sounds corny, works well. Put a guard, if you can exploit a guard in a post matchup, get him down there. A post player does not just have to be six foot ten. A post player needs to be somebody that is physical, can get position, has good footwork, and can win a one-on-one -on -one battle. And if that guy is six ten, great, and if that guy is six two, great. You're not going to be able to do that against Providence because they're just out and out bigger than you. But when you are playing teams at your own level and in your, and in your own league, if Ben Shungu at six foot one can post up some guard from UMass Lowell at 5'11 or 5'10, then do it. If Justin Missoula at 6'5 can post up some forward at 6'3 who's covering him, then do it. Use your advantage. If you cannot shoot well from the outside, Find creative ways to get the ball down low, to get inside, and get to the free throw line. This team will have to shoot well at some point from the outside. They've got to keep shooting. They're not very big. So they can't just abandon at the outside jumper entirely. But if you want to create some free throw opportunities for yourself and create some easy buckets for yourself, 
then exploit guard matchups when you have them down low. So, Bob, I think that's what you do. They Obviously, look, they can practice, and going to Patrick Jim will help. They will have more home games. They will have nine home games in the league. That is going to be a big deal. The comfort of your own gym, the comfort of your own schedule, that will matter. And playing worse teams will matter. When you start playing some of the, the dregs, the mains of the world, you'll get some chances to get some good shots and hit. So the numbers won't always be this bad. But in games where the team is good or the defense is good, it's going to be a struggle. When that happens, you got to find another way. It's like when you don't have your fastball, go to your curveball and your changeup. That's what UVM needs to do. Mouse in the house. That's what I say. All right. We do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. You just got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes, beginning at only $20 a month. So if you wanted, seriously, you can get a car wash every day for a month, $20. That's an incredible deal. And now we got some snow outside. It's spitting out there. Your car's going to get messy, and the, the windshield's going to get messy. Get that thing washed professionally $20 a month to be in that club. And heck, if you just want to try it out, get a free car wash from Vermont Laser Wash. Just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. 30400. Text the word Vermont, you get a free car wash. Ironic there that the beginning of Who's Saying What talks about Mac Jones from Colin Cowherd. Well, now the goalposts are being moved on Mac Jones. People are now expecting him to do more things as we get deeper into the season. And the same questions are coming up about Mac Jones everywhere. Here's Albert Breer of Monday Morning Quarterback. That's the question. You know, can he play from behind? You know, and, and that's the question I think you ask with a lot of teams that are built this way. Baltimore faced that question quite a bit when Lamar Jackson was younger and they constructed the offense around that sort of run game. San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo had a great run game a couple years ago. The question with them was, can they play from behind? And so I think that's the big question that's unanswered right now. We really haven't seen Mac Jones come up huge in a late fourth quarter situation. Everyone has the same question. Can Mac Jones play from behind, as Breer said? I've heard others say, can he play through adversity? Here's how I answer that. Of course we don't know specifically because we haven't seen him in the exact situation that everybody wants to see him in. You want to see him on the road and with a good team, down 10 in the third quarter, and you want to see what happens. I get that. We haven't seen him in that situation. He hasn't been down 20-10 to 10 against Baltimore with seven minutes to play in the third. He hasn't been down 27-17 with 14 minutes left in the game at Buffalo. We haven't seen that. But I would say the evidence points to me very strongly that Mac Jones will be able to survive those situations. It doesn't mean that he's always going to win. But I also believe that Mac Jones isn't always going to fold either. Look at what Mac Jones has done. He's always shown this year throughout. He's shown the ability to come back. He's shown the ability to 
battle adversity. You might not think it or you might not remember, but he has shown it. The signs point that if he were in those same situations that everybody now questions, he would be able to hold his own and I'm sure pull through in at least some of them. He battled quarterback competition in camp, but he beat out a a 10-year veteran and a former MVP in Cam Newton who was well-liked. That wasn't easy. He did it. Once he won the competition and Cam got cut, Mac Jones had to rally the locker room to believe in him because Cam was well-liked and was well-respected, and guys gravitated towards him. And Mac Jones showed the ability to rally that locker room. Part of the reason this team has great team chemistry is because they all believe in each other. Mac's not on an island. He's part of that. He got the locker room in part to help you know, he helped build this locker room culture. He's shown he could do it. That was an adverse situation. He did it. He showed he could handle adversity playing against Tom Brady, the best player in franchise history, the greatest player in NFL history, comes back to town, the conquering hero, and all week long there's the hoopla. Mac Jones showed he could handle that environment. He could handle those questions. And he had his team with a chance to maybe win that game inside two minutes to play. And he played well. In bad weather. That game was in a driving rainstorm. He did it. He came back from double digits down against an awful Houston team. You know you're the favorite. That's one of the few games in the early part of the year where the pressure was on New England. And Mac Jones found a way in the second half, down double digits, to come back and win on the road. I know you wish that was against Baltimore, but he showed he can come back from double digits down on the road, and the pressure was on him, and he did it. He threw a pick six against Dallas. Next play, 75-yard touchdown. Came right back. He's won without a full offensive line. He's won with Damian Harris not playing. He's won without all the defensive pieces available to him, without Stephon Gilmore, Jamie Collins. Played without Kyle Duggar and won. I mean, Mac Jones has shown a really good ability to overcome obstacles. Just because they're not the same obstacles that you want to see doesn't mean he hasn't shown that ability. It doesn't mean he'll always win. But the evidence is strong to me that he's not going to wilt either. If they get to the playoffs and he's on the road in Kansas City and it's 27-17 with 12 minutes to play and he's got the ball in his own 25 I can't promise you he goes down and scores a touchdown, but I don't think he's going three and out with his tail between his legs either. He has shown the ability. Give him the credit for that. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Here, I mean, this, this thing is flipped on its head. Beginning of the year, I was all about Cam. I still love Cam. But everybody else was all in on Mac. Now... You want to move the goalposts, you want to question Mac, and here I am to defend him. I will defend Mac Jones against these questions. He has shown the ability to overcome things. Um, Before we go to break, do I have time for this, guys? I do. Producers are nodding their head at me. I do. Okay, so I just got to tell you about my weird Twitter day yesterday. It It was very odd on social media. 
I think we have really big names on this show. I think our guest list is awesome, right? And a lot of you have told me that you think so too, and I appreciate that. So it's not like I get starstruck around big names or I um, get surprised when big names reach out to me or come on this show. But it was ironic that yesterday, in the span of about four hours, two prominent people in sports both either followed me or interacted with me on Twitter. First was Amon Green. Remember the old Packers running back? He played for the Seahawks also before Green Bay. But remember that? Amon Green is doing a podcast now. I followed him. He actually followed me back. That was surprising to me. I don't have a blue check mark or anything, and I don't have 50,000 followers. But Amon Green followed me on Twitter back. That was cool. Now I'm going to hit him up at some point and try to get him on the show. And then Dan Orlovsky from ESPN, who I think is just great, I quoted, or I, I retweeted one of his um, breakdowns of the Patriots run game, which was pretty fascinating on social media. I, I retweeted that and put a comment on it, and he responded to what I was saying. So uh, it was just interesting that, again, I don't get starstruck around big names. I've been to enough places and met enough people that it's become, you know, it's been normalized to me. But in the span of five hours, I wasn't expecting Amon Green and Dan Orlovsky to follow me or interact with me on Twitter. So very, very cool stuff there. And, uh, again, we'll see if we can get them on the show here at some point. I've never spoken to either of them. I've never – I tried Orlovsky once and wasn't able to get him. But uh, we'll see here, you know, moving down, the, uh, moving down the line if we're able to. All right, when we come back, a big local story. Those of you who have been with this show for a while – have followed the journey of the Harwood High School boys hockey coaching situation. Well, Harwood finally made a final determination on their head coach for this season. And I didn't think that this school administration could get this story more wrong than they already have. And they found a way to do just that. I will tell you why Harwood made the wrong decision and who they hired as their boys hockey coach. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to I go with this hyper-local story here. If you're in the Waterbury area, this is a story you know well. If you're in Duxbury, if you're in right around DEV, you know this story. If you're not, then I think it's something that's going to interest you as just people who follow sports around the state of Vermont. I, I tend not to go hyper-local because I don't want to alienate any of our listeners. This is a story I think that will resonate with all of you. So the Harwood Union High School. They have named Sean Thompson the head coach for the boys' hockey team this season. And in my opinion, this is the completely wrong decision. And this continues a string of completely wrong decisions the school district has made with this team. And they are doing nothing. The administration is doing nothing but hurting the kids in the process, hurting the players. So if you haven't been with me for very long, I'm going to give you the very quick recap of this story. We covered this a lot last February and March. Jacob Grout was the original head coach at Harwood. He was fired after sending an, ex an expletive-laced text message to his team. 
last February he did that. We said he should have kept his job but served a suspension. Anyways, he was fired. Sean Thompson was named the interim head coach. And then last March, days before the state title game that Harwood was playing in, Thompson was arrested on suspicion of DUI. And this was his second offense, allegedly. He was allowed by the administration to coach that state title game, which I said was a mistake. And now he's the head coach for this season. He's been elevated from interim head coach to head coach. To me, this whole thing has been a joke. Harwood has handled this wrong at just about every turn. They shouldn't have fired Jacob Grout. They did. They shouldn't have let Sean Thompson coach in the state title game. They did. And they shouldn't be giving him the head coaching job now. And let's get the facts out there. I want to present the facts, what we know right now, to the listeners. Sean Thompson was arrested last March. He pleaded not guilty. His trial has not been heard yet. We know about the big backlog in court cases. So there is not a guilty verdict here against Sean Thompson in this case. But guess what? Harwood still didn't need to give him the job this year. It's not worth it. And it hurts the kids. And let me explain to you why. There are five possible scenarios that can happen here with this story. I have I have vetted this process in my mind. There are five scenarios that can happen. One. Sean Thompson's trial happens during the season, and he's found guilty. Well, if he's found guilty, I would assume he'd get fired, and now the team will have a disruption in its coaching staff and have turmoil for the second consecutive year. That being an option makes this whole decision not worth it. That could happen. The trial could happen during the season. They could have to fire him. And the team gets screwed. Nothing. It hurts the kids. You've disrupted their season for two years in a row if that happens. Option number two. The trial happens after the season. And he's found guilty. And likely fired. So yeah, they'd make it through this season. But then you'd have kids in this program that would have three coaches in three years. That's not good for the kids. It's not. They'd have three different head coaches in three years, three different messages, three different playing styles, three different practice styles, three different mentalities, not worth it. Not worth it. Option three that could happen. The trial doesn't happen at all, you know, for or doesn't happen for a while, rather. And this story is just hanging over the team. These kids on this team are anywhere between, what, 15 and 18? And they go home, they go to practice every day not knowing if their coach is going to be there tomorrow. They go home and talk with their parents and their parents don't know if their coach is going to be there tomorrow. Or their parents are disappointed that their coach is there and it becomes a point of contention between the player and the family. Or between the family and the administration. Or you go to games and other rinks and the other parents on the other side are talking. That doesn't benefit the kids. So far, I've laid out three scenarios, none of which are healthy for the players on this team. Question four is, 
or, or, or scenario four is the trial happens after the season and he's found innocent. And that would be great. But you still spent the entire season with the kids in limbo. And everything I just told you happened. He might be innocent. He might be not guilty. But the entire season would have is, would have been spent with the players wondering. I've listed four scenarios. None of them are good for the players. The fifth and final scenario is trial happens quickly. He's found innocent. That's obviously the best case for all parties. That, that, that would give everybody a happy ending. I just listed five scenarios. That's the only one where everybody walks away with a good experience. That's it. This decision of making Sean Thompson the head coach wasn't worth it for that 20% chance. Because in my five scenarios, I've given you one that ends up with everybody walking away happy. It's not worth You have an 80% chance of negatively impacting the kids by giving Sean Thompson this job. Not worth it to me. Even if he is innocent, not worth all those other possible outcomes. You don't need to put the kids' mentality at risk. You don't need to put their continuity at risk, their routine at risk. There are other people in central Vermont that can coach this hockey team and can do it well and can do it admirably. You don't need to give Sean Thompson this job. It's not worth the distraction, the headache, and the possibilities. I hope he is innocent. It's still not worth it. These players deserve a good season, a successful season, and continuity within their season and within their high school career, and they haven't had it yet, and they may not have it moving forward. I know you're innocent until proven guilty. I understand how the legal system works, and I'm not saying that Sean Thompson is guilty. Innocent until proven guilty, that's great. But there's an element of, is this really worth all the trouble? And to me, it's not. And remember, this was for a second offense, allegedly. This is a guy, Sean Thompson, about my age. I'm 32. I think he's just older than me. This isn't a 75-year-old with 50 years worth of a clean record who, who maybe, you could maybe twist it into saying it was one bad mistake, he deserves a second chance. This is a guy who at the very least, even if he's innocent, at the very least, has put himself in a questionable situation twice in a decade. It's not worth it. Not to me. High school athletics is supposed to be about the players. It's supposed to be about the players, and the players deserve better than what is coming to them. Because what is coming to them is questions, is wondering, is not knowing. Is my coach going to be there tomorrow, or is he going to be there next season? That's not worth it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Napa Morris Field, Napa Waterbury text line, if you feel so inclined, is open here on WDEV. Uh, you know what? Let's take a break. Let's get some texts in on that. We'll come back. We'll finish up the show with crazy Twitter takes because crazy Twitter takes today is actually about something I said. I do this segment once a year. I'm dusting it off today. Today is the day. I do it once a year. I'll tell you what that is next on DEV. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. 
They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The yeah. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVRadio.com. This crazy Twitter take today actually comes from me. I don't believe that for anybody under the age of 35, the Celtics and Lakers is a rivalry. Celtics-Lakers played last night. I saw multiple people on social media hype it up as a great rivalry and talk about the rivalry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't believe for anybody under the age of 35, this is a rivalry. For those of you over 35, I think you still see it that way. But for me, for my age group, I don't think that this is a rivalry. Am I crazy? Is that a crazy Twitter take? 802-585-3026. Tell me I'm right or defend the rivalry. Because for me, it's it's not there anymore. These two teams have unbelievable history. They have unbelievable matchups in their past. You can't tell the story of the NBA without Celtics Lakers. I know that. But that past does not carry over to a present-day rivalry. I do this story every year when they play, once a year. And then I recycle it. I will do it again next year. I will not do it in between now and then. Celtics-Lakers, to me, not a rivalry. It is really hard now in professional sports to have rivalries at all, but especially rivalries in different conferences where the teams play only twice a year, where it's 2 of 82, and where they don't meet in the finals. It's so hard. A lot of those kind of rivalries have gone away or have been severely lessened. Rivalries in pro sports in general are not what they used to be for a bunch of different reasons. One, there's more teams. So now instead of playing... X team six times in a regular season, you're playing them twice if they're in a separate conference. So you're seeing teams less. That's one reason. Number two is teams or players change teams so frequently. Back in the day, back before free agency, guys would stay on the same team for a decade and you would build up a hatred of certain players and certain teams because they would always be there. That's not the case anymore. People play for both of these teams now like it's nothing. That that wouldn't have happened in the 70s and the early 80s. I looked at Avery Bradley, Rajon Rondo. Like these are guys that have played for both teams and have done so in the last five years. That wouldn't have happened with McHale, Bird, and Magic. So teams changing so frequently now and players changing so frequently, that's another reason why rivalries have been lessened. And three, teams are so cyclical now. Back in the day, again, you had teams that were generally always good. And, again, you develop that hatred because those games would always mean something. Pro sports right now, those rivalries are gone in a lot of cases because teams aren't always good. They're streaky. They're good for a bit, and then they're gone. I really think that your rival changes in a lot of cases dependent on who is good. 
Think about this. I'm a Seahawks fan, right? You know this. Outside of the Patriots, I like the Seahawks. I grew up, I hated the Rams. Hated the Rams. Greatest show on turf. Marshall Falk, uh, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, Azakim, Ricky Prohl, Kurt Warner. I hated that team. Then the Rams got bad. Then who'd I hate? I hated the 49ers. Jim Harbaugh, Colin Kaepernick, Anquan Bolden. I hated the 49ers. Then, now, I don't like the Cardinals. I don't like the Rams either. I don't like the Niners either, but the Cardinals are in first place. Now the Cardinals are my rival. So it's all dependent on who is good, which team is standing directly in front of you from accomplishing your goals. Okay, I think the Celtics are more rivals with the 76ers now than I do the Lakers. The 76ers are in their division, are in their conference. They see them in the playoffs, and they are directly in their path. Toronto could be a rival. Miami could be a rival. Miami was a rival when LeBron is there, and then they weren't. And then if they were consistently in their way, they'd be again. It's hard to keep rivalries in professional sports, especially when they're not in your division and they're not even in your conference. There are a few that I think have stood the test of time. Yankees-Red Sox, still a rivalry. They're in the division. They're both generally good. They can see each other in the playoffs. They have seen each other in the playoffs. That's a rivalry. They play each other 19 times a year. There's bad blood there. That's still a rivalry. Dodgers-Giants, same thing, different coast. Canadians and Bruins, same thing. Maple Leafs and, 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 and Habs, I would say that too. So there are rivalries in professional sports, but they're not like they used to be. They're more fleeting, and only a very few have withstood the test of time. I asked Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio if he thought the Lakers and Celtics were a rivalry still. But in terms of a team-to-team rivalry, I don't think we've seen that to that level when you think about it, probably since the Bulls and the Knicks in the 90s. I mean, you had a little bit of it where teams would get back and forth at each other, but you're not, you don't have those kind of strong rivalries anymore because players are going to different places. Yeah, players are going to different places. Bob says, Brady, Ohio State beat Michigan 19 out of 20 years. It's still a rivalry. Yes, college is different. College has huge rivalries. Co- college is where the rivalries are at. I would never tell you, uh, 18 out of 20 years, he corrects himself. I would never tell you that college didn't have rivalries. It, well, they're traditional rivals. There are some made-up rivalries they're trying to make work, but because you have alumni and you have, uh, you know, you talk about in-state rivals in particular, you have one brother goes to this school, one brother goes to that school, and you're rooting against the uniform. In the NBA now, you're rooting more against the player. LeBron against Steph. It's not, the, it's not really the Warriors and the Lakers. It's LeBron against Steph. It's Steph against Durant. In the NBA now, it's more about player-to-player rivalries than it is team-to-team rivalries. So, yeah, college is great. Army-Navy, rivalry. Oregon-Oregon State, rivalry. When you're battling for recruits and you've got alumni and families are divided, those are rivalries. They happen in college. They don't happen in the pros as easily. Like Dallas and Washington, great NFL rivalry. Don't think it means anything until either one of them gets good again. Well, Dallas is good. Washington hasn't been good. 
Bears-Packers, we're going to see that this week. Still some of elements of a rivalry. But if Minnesota was really good, they'd be rivals with the Packers. Detroit, same thing. It's all about who's good at that moment. Red Sox-Yankees, Habs-Bruins, Leafs-Habs, Giants-Dodgers. That, to me, is about it right now in pro sports. Uh, let's see. We got a few more texts coming in here. Where do I want to go? Jesse in Pittsfield, who says that the Red Sox and Yankees are a rivalry, too. So um, let's, uh, let's see if we can get a couple more in here over the next little bit. But, uh, yeah, Jesse in Pittsfield, that's a new first-time texter. So thank you uh, so much to Jesse for getting in here on the Brady Farkas Show. We do this every single weekday from 530 until 7 right here on WDEV. Very, very excited for Jack Donovan in the uh, WDEV at 90 celebration where we do the uh, – we pull one out of the archives and, uh, and and let you know how it sounded. It's crazy. Whenever I hear these, I'm always amazed to hear something where it doesn't mention a website. My whole time in radio, it's been mention your station, mention the website. We're streaming at WDEVradio.com. When I hear these these old 90-year celebration ones, it's just like, hey, there is no um, you know, there's no mention of the website. It's pretty cool, pretty interesting, pretty jarring as well. So, yeah, Jesse in Pittsfield agrees, Red Sox, Yankees is a rivalry absolutely so that'll do it for us thanks to tom karen thanks to freddie coleman full interviews available as always on the brady farkas show podcast channel just go to apple Podcasts or spotify and follow us and subscribe and take us wherever you want listen live listen on demand we appreciate those of you that listen in any fashion so uh, it's all about getting our content out there and sharing it with you guys and you guys have been great at receiving it so that'll do it for us dwdev at 90 celebration is coming up next. Jack Donovan will lead you through that. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson follows him at 8 o'clock. Then we've got the, uh, well, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, our guy. Freddie Coleman, Ian Fitzsimmons for Freddie and Fitzsimmons on DEV.